You're wrong. You're wrong. Welcome, everybody, to the Flock Pod. Hashtag 025, uh, the Brady Breeze episode, which was an easy one. That was an easy was one so to come up with fitting. for this week. Yeah, very, nice. very, very fitting. Quite uh, serendipitous, if you would if, say so. If only they could all be that way. I know, right? Yeah. Is, that is a little bit of a challenge, but I'm not going to sit here and complain about us. Anyway, <laughs> welcome, everybody. I am at Coach Justin D. I'm at Shane Potter Six on Twitter at Flocka Flocka Shane Six on Instagram. Yes, yes, he is, and we are the Flock Pod on all those social media platforms. So please go out there, find us, like, subscribe. comment, share, subscribe. Go check us out on the Spotify. We're also on there now. I'm working on getting on those other podcast platforms, and hopefully we'll be available to all you iTunes listeners very, very soon. So we are working on that here behind the scenes. So big week this week, Shane. Um, we were wrong. I mean, that's 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 how we should just start this podcast off. As, as yeah. you heard before the pod even started, my good friend Dr. Cox, we were very wrong. Yeah. Uh, well, we were right about how the teams were going to approach this game. True. But the outcome and <laughs> like the logistics of everything else, I think we were pretty about as wrong as we could possibly yep, be. Yep, I agree. And we were right that fourth downs would be really important. We were just wrong about what team would be going for all the fourth downs and you know how much that would really play into the momentum of the game and just the general flow and the way it kind of swung. Yeah, I mean right off the jump, uh, I mean the play calling was different. Uh, there were some rumors swirling around about Arroyo being the next head coach at UNLV, which ended up being true. Yeah. And we did kind of see him empty the bag a little bit. Yes, uh, absolutely. They took the Ferrari out of the garage. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Uh, I think the opening drive, I mean, stopping Utah on fourth down uh, on the opening drive, getting that momentum immediately huge. was huge. And then uh, on the uh, inaugural drive for Oregon, Herbert keeping the ball on those uh, read options. We haven't yes. seen it all year. We haven't seen it in four years really well and we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the season where we knew he would be a weapon and Arroyo is literally quoted talking about well we don't want to take the Ferrari out of the garage all the time this is something we only want to use at certain times and it's interesting because it wasn't necessarily super effective from just a yards per play perspective but the threat of him running and just putting that seed in kind of the back of those defensive players' minds was so effective. It made him slow down a little bit. It made him think. Especially early. During yes. it early and like letting him know that I guess, uh, Herbert ended up with seven carries for 35 yards, longest of which was a 13-yard scamper on that first drive. Mm-hmm. But that really like opened up, especially those outside linebackers, having to stay true and stay pinned on the edge. Uh, we saw really open it up inside for C.J. Verdell, and some of those running lanes were just massive. I mean, that was the best the offensive line has played maybe all year. Well, and I just have to say shout-out to Arroyo for getting Panay Suel the ball in his hands. Like, how much yeah. fun was that? I wanted oh. that to go so bad. <laughs> I was so excited, and then I got so nervous because he, like – basically tried to jump over the yeah, guy kind of was just too. like no dude those like, big men get excited when they get that ball in their hands and in in fairness we did talk about what would have to happen for oregon to win the game and in that sense we were both spot on oh yeah absolutely. them getting ahead to start the game playing downhill the momentum the rushing yards i mean they absolutely dominated the rushing yards. cj verdell alone has 208 yards on the ground it was, it was an incredibly impressive performance. And we did see something that uh, I said that I can't believe I got right, which was getting Cyrus Abibi Lakio out there early. Yes, this absolutely. This the first time the we first saw quarter. him. Yeah. He yeah. actually out-touched Travis Dye 9-3. I was going to say he only got the nine carries, but they were an important nine carries. That's better than his stat lines like in the last few weeks. It's been like two carries for absolutely. two touchdowns. And the other thing we saw? Two back sets. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I, what I should do right now is just pull up the text thread that you and I had during the game. Oh, I was it, texting with my dad also. Yeah, it was But great. it was just, it was incredible to kind of see all those things playing out the way that we talked about, but just not necessarily 
in the way that we thought they would. It was interesting. Yeah, it was just a little bit tweaked. Yeah, I thought it was so funny. Every time you texted me, I had like just fired up a tweet. And it's it like, like you're reading my tweets before you text me. Yes. <laughs> I, I was love just like, yeah, I'm just responding. I didn't even respond to you with like actual text or just screenshots just of got, my tweets. There's literally three screenshots in a row, ladies and gentlemen, of him just responding. And it was it was a fun game to watch. I think. I mean, you and I definitely had set pretty low expectations, so I think that's part of the excitement of it. But it was fun to see Oregon come out, and there was, I think it was Bree, I can never pronounce her last name from NBC, that kind of referenced this. But this just looked like a team that was pissed off. They were tired of being told that they were the less physical team all week. And you know Cristobal, you know Feld was just buying into that and feeding them more and more momentum. They came out hungry. They came out like that uh, scene in Little Giants where the little kids are like foaming at the mouth. (laughs) You know, it was that kind of an intensity that they played with. Yeah, I mean, the energy level was through the roof. And Mm -hmm. like I said, like that opening, getting that stop on fourth down had everybody fired up. And that momentum really carried all the way through the first half where we did see a little bit of a lull and where they did kind of revert back to the slower, um, safer kind of style of play calling Mm -hmm. was in the third quarter. And that's where it got a little, I got a little worried. Um, Just because- Yeah, 15 to three outscored worry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Utah definitely looked like they were gaining some confidence in the third quarter. But then they did a good job of coming back down. I thought Herbert, this was the most accurate I've seen him throughout an entire game. Uh, he was only 14 for 26 with 193 yards. Not numbers that like jump off of the page, but he was really good on third downs and he was just he was hitting guys where they had room to move. Like they could create after the play. Would you say that he uh, managed the game very well? God, you know, I yes, I would. Yeah, he I did. I would say that was a great game manager yes. performance. Yes, it was. Although, I don't feel like that's as big of a knock as you do. <laughs> um, we did see only five players with a catch in the game. Uh, Penny Swell did, did not count. That counted as a rush. It counted as a rush because yeah, it was behind it was the line of scrimmage. Yep. Um, or else it would have been six players. How about uh, Hunter Campmoyer getting in there and getting a catch? Gotta love that. Yeah, I think he had a catch. In the Oregon State game as well, him and Ryan Bay did because the seniors were getting a little more. And how have we run. never? How have we never referenced our receiving core as like the Triple J's? Like how has that never like come out? Like well, we got JJ Trade, yeah, yeah Juwan, man. and then J Red. Uh, yeah, a lot of J names out there, and they were the three most productive receivers in the game. Definitely, um, definitely. JJ Trey had six catches for 87 and a touchdown. Juwan only had two, and Jalen Red had three for 35 yards. So, I mean, none of these numbers offensively are really jumping off the page, except for uh, C.J. Verdell. I mean, because that was the performance of a lifetime. It really was, and I think it was it was nice to see that offensive line be healthy. I think that's that's a huge factor for Oregon. Jake getting Hansen getting back. Jade, getting our center back and just kind of putting... I mean, it's like in, in baseball, you want to be strong up the middle. Obviously, in football, it's the same kind of a concept. You want to have a strong line, and you want to have guys with continuity. I think looking back on this game in two or three years, this is going to be known as the Thibodeau game. I think this is going to be, I think Brady Breeze's performance is going to be somewhat kind of overshadowed. The highlights that Thibodeau put up on the defensive side, when it came to the third and fourth quarter, he was straight up dominating the game. I mean, he that was he was a closer. Like, Absolutely. I mean, that end of the game, it was crazy. I mean, he, had, uh, he ended the game with two and a half sacks. Yep. Uh, yeah. Five tackles, two and a half sacks. And he also blocked that punt in the second quarter. That's what I mean. Just a huge performance. And you just... Or first quarter. You finally saw him play. And again, you never... It's hard to knock energy as a, as a spectator, right? Because you just, you're just watching. You're not connected to the game whatsoever. But he looked like he was just shot out of a cannon for the entire game. Every single time he was on the field, he was looking to make some kind of impact. And I don't think we've seen that kind of motor performance from him, that consistency from him for an entire game. Well, it's been, we've, we have played some games during conference play when he kind of hit his stride. Early in the year, it's, it's hard for a kid his age Absolutely. to perform well, especially at the DN position mm-hmm. where guys just get so much bigger. It looked like stuff clicked. Yeah, and, but he also was given the opportunity to really pin his ears back and go. I yes. mean, towards the end of that game, there was, I mean, Zach Moss wasn't getting anything done. No. He ended the game with, well, I mean, 
He did have 19 carries for 113 yards. But a lot of that was in the second and third quarter. Yeah. So towards the end when they were down, I mean, he really got a chance to, like I said, just go after the quarterback, get out wide, and just beat guys on the edge. And, uh, I mean, I think we're seeing his physical development. He definitely looks bigger than he did in the start of the year. Oh, yeah. And he's got that cool Rob Gronkowski, like, robo-arm thing going on. Did Huntley look healthy to you? Huntley looked off. He didn't look like he was moving as well as he usually does. And I don't, again, I don't know anything. This is, again, this is just me being a spectator and watching through my television. He just didn't look like he was moving as well as he was versus Colorado. And it's just those micro movements sometimes in the pocket, but also some of those runs. I think he had, let me look here. He had 14 carries, but he didn't do a lot with those 14 carries. Well, and a couple of them, too. Like, I think those quarterback rushing numbers are a little bit skewed because if you, like, escape a sack and you get a yard, they count it as a rush. Very and true. it's like, and that happened a couple times where the pocket collapsed on him a little bit, and he was really, like, liberal with where he was with the oh, ball. Yeah. That little sweep over <laughs> that one play. Yeah, that's the one I thing was I like, think okay, of. like, this is, I mean, it's cool to watch, but if I was a Utah fan, I'd be freaking <laughs> out. <laughs> My anxiety is freaking out. Um, no, but I think maybe something, again, I, I without re-watching the game in detail and trying to, like, pinpoint a specific play, I just think in that second and third and fourth quarter, he didn't look like he was the same explosive, confident athlete. That also just could have been a little bit of happy feet because the Oregon defensive line was dominating the Utah offensive line. And the secondary played really well, <laughs> too. I mean, tackling in space, Brady Breeze had that one-on-one tackle where he, like, almost, you know, killed a human being. Yeah, Brady Breeze, I mean, we, we need to talk about more about his performance from the secondary and being the, the safety net that made it possible for those corners to be as aggressive as they were early in the game. Yeah, I mean, his interception, which was only, I believe, the third interception on the season for Tyler Huntley, uh, I mean, I called it as soon as the ball left his hand, and you kind of saw that Brady was tracking the ball mm-hmm. coming over. He had his eyes more on it than the receiver did. Yeah. Great play. Great athleticism. Uh-huh. Awesome way to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, so who would you... Who would you say was the MVP of this game? Because there's uh, there's a couple couple choices. I have to go with Brady because I think his performance to settle down the secondary and to give those corners the confidence to be aggressive. It's similar, and again, you're not going to like this, but it's like Earl Thomas when he was with the Seahawks. And that's what made the Legion of Boom so incredibly hard to play against because he was the eraser. He was the he was the epitome of what you want from a safety, making up for mistakes from whether it be a tackle mistake, whether it be a coverage mistake. He was the guy, the band-aid to go over all of that. But then he also went out and made plays. I, I mean, I think it has to be kind of a split to some degree between him and Thibodeau, but I would argue that Thibodeau was empowered by Brady's play because Brady made a couple of those big plays early on. Now, Thibodeau obviously blocks the punt, but Brady being in the right place at the right time and, again, covering up for a few of those early mistakes by the U of O secondary allowed that defensive line to pin their ears back. And this isn't to overlook the offensive performance, but I think the thing that we talked about going into the game was that defense was going to have to step up and allow Oregon to go win the game. Right. We, yeah, we kind of alluded to the fact that you know getting stops would create offense and then what we do on offense would win or lose the game mm-hmm. as far as, like, controlling the clock, which time possession was fairly fairly even. Uh, none of the team stats really jumped off the page too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to get this off my... Did, did Breeze make the tackle on the fourth and one play? The opening drive. Yeah, that's yes. what I mean. I think yeah. that's he made that, that. So that that right there, just to set the momentum, to set the tone as a guy that, hey, this, you know, as Lebowski says, this aggression will not stand today, man. <laughs> I'm drawing a line in the sand. This aggression will not stand. And just getting his guys to believe that they had the opportunity to win the game. Yeah, holding Utah to 309 total yards. It's 4.8 yards of play, which is way under their season average. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we had 13.8 pass yards per completion. So when Herbert out of those 14 completions, I'm sorry, who? Sherbert. There you go. Okay. Uh, 
So out of those 14 completions that he had, he was picking up big chunks. And I think that was important that, you know, to open up the playbook Mm -hmm. a little bit, move the ball downfield. We were four for five in the red zone. And then special teams were big again. Uh, Three for three on field goals. Yes. None of which were pretty. No, and I have a heart attack. They all went sideways. We have to hit the recruiting trail and bring in a kicker, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, or, I mean, let's. I I got faith in him. He's got ice water in his veins. He did kill Utah or uh, Washington State. Uh, and then uh, Blake Blake Mamone again six punts three hundred and one yards that's fifty point two yards that's per a big game. punt that's a big game for I mean sure. flipping the field like that in a mm-hmm. game like that was huge I bet that's the thing that Cristobal goes home at night and he just he finds like those little weird he like he probably looks for offensive lineman pancake blocks and like punt coverage net yard or something <laughs> like that those those are the stats that i imagine cristobal just looking at me like oh yeah that's the good stuff well it's funny the like the punting numbers if you go back and look at like games where we've gotten like beat pretty bad mm-hmm. uh, by a lot the punting numbers do reflect that absolutely like nine times out of ten yeah absolutely it's crazy it's how often it is i mean it's a total cliche and like so many you know game announcers talk about well we'll see who who wins the special teams battle today but it's so important in regard because they're just their momentum plays also with the, the missed field goal a blocked punt things of that nature can really swing the rest of your team's ideology and belief in themselves especially getting like a stop big stop on third down you're like yep feeling good about yourselves yep then Mamone puts you inside the 10 you're like not feeling so good yeah, anymore darn good feelings gone good <laughs> yeah. feelings gone yeah that was nice while it lasted yeah. so we don't we don't I mean we've already spent quite a bit of time here on the on the recap but deservedly so this, this game yeah this game deserves it so would you agree with me that Brady was the player of the game he was I would pop. say yeah I'd say him I mean CJ would be a close second just because of what he accomplished but on he looked like, healthy that was yeah. nice to see CJ look healthy um, yeah, and I mean, it was kind of uh, nice to have it settle back in to have our lead, like a lead back, where it has been, you know, our BBC all year. But, and I mean, I like Travis Dye. We all know how I feel about Cyrus. But it was nice to just see this is the dude, and then here's the complimentary guys. And then do those two back sets yeah. where, you know, like it all just seems to make more sense. And then big shout out to the offensive line, too, where like those boys I know, ain't. I know that they've been getting a lot of credit this year, but I still feel like they're like a little underrated. Yeah. Well, every offensive lineman is underrated. It's very true, especially because there's no like stats to tie Mm -hmm. into it, so you can't really like put a number to reflect the performance. um, Outside of like the rushing attack. Shout out to my guy Jeff Schwartz who educated me on how offensive linemen are incredibly underrated in college. So yeah, shout out to you, Jeff Schwartz. And then we, we did get the news recently that Arroyo uh, yes. is taking off. He we should talk the... about some guys that are going to be leaving the program, a couple of them here, with Arroyo and then Felix also. Yep, Felix being lost in the depth chart this year. I kind of feel like he, I don't know if he felt slighted or, I mean, he was part of the Willie Taggart regime. It's yes. the year he was brought mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. So he's already had kind of a tumultuous career. Uh, he's a person that I'm a huge fan of as a football player and Absolutely. a human being. Absolutely. Like, he's an awesome guy. Yeah. I really wish the best for him, especially mm-hmm. with, I mean, Sean Dollar's being redshirted this year. He's going to be back. That Benson kid who's coming in next year looks yep. like a beast. CJ will probably be back. Travis Dye will probably be back. Cyrus will probably be back. I mean, it's like... Cyrus is senior? Oh, no, Cyrus is senior. Yeah, Cyrus yeah. is gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, CJ, as great as he is, I don't really see him going pro. <laughs> Um, I don't I don't think so either. You never know what kind of advice these guys are going to get as the process moves forward. But just know out there, Flock fans, that he's a guy that we're going to keep tabs on. We're going to watch where he lands the next year. We're probably going to cover him just a little bit because he's a guy that both we're both a big fan of. And we just we want to see him succeed and, and all the best to him. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, if he wants to go back to his home state, there's a lot of those Florida programs that could really use a guy like him right now, downhill runner. Hey, FAU. there's another guy that just got a job down there in Florida that he may land at that he could be, I mean, a stud player for them. Yeah, or maybe go from like, because I know FAU was recruiting him. Uh, Lane Kiffin just ended up at Ole Miss. That might be a spot yeah. for him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, how does Lane Kiffin keep getting these jobs? Let's not talk about that. Anyway, <laughs> um, so good luck to uh, Mr. Arroyo uh, landing in, in Vegas. Um, good luck anybody that lands in Vegas. Um, but he's, I th- he's a Vegas kind of he, guy. He does seem kind of like a Vegas guy. We talked a little bit about the pod before we started recording the pod. We really sh- I should just hit record right when you walk in the door because we, <laughs> we do get a lot of good stuff off our chest right away. This is a good opportunity for him. UNLV is, is, a, is a difficult program to run. 
you're you're really in the middle of kind of a weird recruiting purgatory where you where Nevada does produce some talent, but a lot of that talent gets pulled into California, gets pulled into Arizona. Some of the lower level guys end up in Utah and in Colorado, those big Pac-12 schools. So UNLV is at a little bit of a disadvantage there, but Arroyo kind of has a little bit of that underdog kind of big chip on his shoulder. Like that's what when you say Vegas mentality, that's the kind of vibe I get. He's got swagger. So well, I don't like the word swag, but I hear what you're saying. And I think that he could be the right, he could turn that into a program. Again, this is high praise, but could he turn them into like a Boise State? I think so. I mean, I think he has the kind of, uh, if you don't want to say swagger, like machismo. Machismo is a great one. Just just a mentality, the way he carries himself, there's a lot of confidence that borders on cockiness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say he's his biggest fan. Um, and, yeah, I, I do think that this the, the timing of this is kind of perfect for him. Uh, it's a program that's kind of perfect for him. They do have the funding. They have the facilities, but they are kind of an upstart. They do need kind of a, a, a change in personality. They need, a, they need an identity. And a lot of times in college sports, you get that from your head coach. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I didn't think about, Shane, the Raiders are going to be in Vegas next year. I wonder how that'll impact kind of the football culture a little bit in Vegas also. Could help if they, I don't know what the rules are if using that, like ticket set for recruiting. I don't know if you can I don't know do what that. they can do with that, but it, just having that kind of mentality and having that kind of. Vegas be more of a football town. Exactly. Yeah, I'm curious if that does attract maybe some other, you never know. You never know what kind of an impact it can have. I mean, if if that is the case, that then this is the timing of this is perfect for them. Yes, yes. I, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I think it's a good opportunity. I think it's the right time for him to leave Oregon. I think it gives Oregon an opportunity to go out and find somebody that that Cristobal really vibes with. And it sounds like you've got a list of candidates for us here, Shane. Yeah, according to Oregon Live, there's uh, six Shout candidates. out to Oregon Live. Yeah, they do great work. Um, so Zach Hills, <laughs> uh, Boise State's offensive coordinator for the last few years. Uh, obviously, some ties with Andy Avalos being the ex-defensive yes. coordinator there. Yes. Um, who we love probably... po- poaching the Broncos, by the way. That's just well, one other thing to say. Well, after what they've done to us, you deserve it. Okay, um, fair yeah. enough. Uh, Frank... Happy trails, Chris Peterson. <laughs> uh, Frank Ponce, the Louisville quarterback coach from last year, uh, has emerged as one of the top candidates. He was the Appalachian State offensive coordinator from 2013 to 2018. So he just got Louisville kind of settling in and maybe potentially moving on. But, I mean, those are, those are the, the steps that you take. Uh, Derek Dooley, the Missouri offensive coordinator. Rhett Lashley. Great name. SMU offensive coordinator. Mike Sanford, the Utah State OC. And then the most interesting candidate, I'd say. This is the guy that we talked about the most before the podcast started today. Is Rob Chudzinski. It's a hard name. Yeah. Just call him Chud. He goes by Chud. That's what we're referring to him from now on. From now on, you are Chud. I'm never trying to say that name again. Um... He has some ties to the University of Miami. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator in 2001 when they won the national championship. Coach Cristobal is a part of that program. Um, he was also the offensive coordinator in Carolina yes. during the Cam Newton mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. Won MVP. With won him. me a fantasy football league that year. Thank you. And then he moved on to Indianapolis to help uh, school up a guy named Andrew Luck, who was also a Pac-12 Never heard graduate. of him. Yeah, he had a pretty good NFL career. He retired early. Yeah, he was on some fantasy teams. Is he going to be the Barry Sanders <coughs> of quarterbacks? Are people going to refer to him like that? I've also heard a lot about like him coming back and after next year. I could see that. Trying to get healthy, just kind of take like a gap year kind of yeah, thing. Which, yeah, which, I mean, I don't know. Dude, when you got stuff going idea. on with your neck, like, that's that's scary, man. As someone that's dealing with that, from like, that's, that's scary stuff. Well, and he, like, got a degree in, like, architecture and stuff, and he he has a whole, uh, like, post-football plan. Yeah, um, he's a smart dude. He's a smart but dude. But the dark horse for the OC job, and the one that I feel like should get it, just because of what he's done it, within this program, I'm a big fan of promoting Ooh. from within, is running back coach Jim Mastro. Ooh, okay, okay. I think the the job he's done the last three years with uh, these different running back packages mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. taking a TBJ and both like getting him into a pro level, which he just signed with the Minnesota Vikings today. Good for you, TBJ. Um, and shout out to Anthony Thomas for being a uh, AFC North champ. Yeah, and Baltimore he's actually Ravens. been pretty good. Like I was been looking, a good punt returner. Yeah, for uh, 
more than anything, he's done a good job just with fair catches. Just catching the ball. Yeah, yeah he's got good hands. We've always game. known he's got good hands. So yeah. shout out to And you being Black like a, a pure return guy, I think, is good for him. Just mm-hmm. being like, hey, dude, you're not going to worry about anything else. Kind of like the Rams have JoJo Nats and these like specialists. Don't make him run routes. Whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you do, do not make that run routes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, is going to coach his team through the Rose Bowl, so we'll see. We did see him empty out the bag of tricks a little bit. A little bit. In the Pac-12 little bit. game. Yeah. Uh, with running the ball with Herbert and some other things, some kind of pseudo-trickery that we've only seen flashes of throughout the year. One thing I'm going to miss about Sherbert is just watching him run. He just He's just a big elk. Like, he, he he's fast. And but he's just he's so long and he just he's an elk. He's I don't know how else to put it. The slowest fast guy I've ever seen. In my life. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. He's just, he just runs like an elk. When he like when he's running, he makes other people like look like they're in slow motion because yes. he's going yes, so slow. Yes, that's a good way to put he's, it. Like, passing people. And uh, so yeah, I, I think that all those guys are some interesting candidates. It's going to be curious to see what Oregon decides to do. But let's again, we got one more game in front of us for this season. Excuse me. The Oregon Ducks have one more game in front of them for this season. Uh, we, we, we work on that. We, we border on fans and, you know, reporters. And I'm, I'm just being real honest about it. It's something I've worked on really hard. So know that we are trying to have a little bit of separation of fandom and Preston here at the Flock Pod. Yeah, I, I feel like our like that's our realm, though. Is like yeah, that, that gray area. Yeah. That gray area. The grayscale. Yeah, so, I mean, it'll see, they'll probably do that higher, I imagine, sometime this winter. Uh, I think they probably want to get it done As soon after the Rose Bowl, I can imagine, as possible. Yeah, they want to get somebody in and get that system in place. But there's a lot a lot of interesting candidates, and especially with the way the program's moving forward, uh, a, new, a brand new quarterback with a brand new offensive coordinator is a great time. Shook time. Tyler Sh- Showtime Show. Tyler Sh- Showtime I'm Sh- excited for him. I think he's going to be good. I hope I'm not calling him Sherbert by this and time then we next year. also have uh, Kale Millen will be a redshirt freshman next year. And there's another kid we've got coming in, the number three pro-style quarterback. Mm-hmm. Is that who you're talking about? No, or is Kale Millen's kid? already already. He's here. already in the program? Okay, yeah. there's another kid red, coming in next red year. this year. Who a lot of people are really, really high on. Brunson, I think, is his last name. Again, we'll get into all the minutia of recruiting a lot more there's during so the spring. There's so much time to oh, talk goodness. about recruiting. I'm oh. not even trying to do like we had a decommitment from one of the best safeties in the nation yeah that was kind of hard to see it looks like he's gonna stay at home in florida but but i mean these things it's this time of the year these things happen yeah these things happen if you're if you're in shock and awe about happening now just give it a month and uh you'll be pulling your hair out speaking of shock and awe I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> ESPN put on quite the show last night for some uh, some shock of who won some specific awards and some awe with LSU just sweeping through things here with uh, good old Coach O winning Coach of the Year. Yeah, well deserved. Yeah, I love Coach O. I hope. Good for him. Did you hear the story of the, the, the recruiting? Yeah, yeah I was just about to say <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. A good story. I was story. like, dude, that guy is awesome. Really, really good story. He, really, he, he knows how to get it done. He, he loves his players. Zuko, producer Zuko really needs to go outside, I can tell right now. So he's 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 doing some things to get attention. He's doing really great, not making noise today. But um, we're going to try to move a little bit quicker here so I can get him outside here pretty quick. But we do want to talk about some ducks that did win an award last night. A couple, actually. Um... Panay Suell going out there and winning the Outland Trophy. Um, massive, massive award for the Ducks to go out there and get a, get a talent like that, but then to put that talent in a position to go win an award like that on the national stage. I mean, yeah, he's he's receiving a lot of national attention right now, and he's going to be the anchor of the offensive line moving forward with a lot of these guys graduating this year. And with the, him uh, gelling so well with a group that was together their whole time at Oregon, I mean, we watched this offensive line. We had like four starting freshmen and really learn how to put the pieces together. And one of the best pieces that they were able to learn was how to adapt with uh, this guy who's probably the most talented of the bunch. Yeah. yeah. I'd say definitely I, the I most talented of the absolutely, bunch. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that pro scouts are already literally salivating themselves to get this guy. To I mean, he's got the athleticism of the tight end with the body of a left tackle. So yes. it, it's great. I mean, and then his brother's going to be a force. If you haven't gone out and watched Noah Swell's uh, YouTube highlights, it should be against the rules and Utah high school football to let him be a ball carrier. It's just sick. And then uh, Penny's other brother, uh, I believe is a linebacker at Utah. 
that they've discussed on him going pro. Did you see the tweet from their mom talking about how all these different games and stuff like that that they're going to have to travel to within like oh, a week? It's going to be crazy. Because it's, it's three bowl games and then Noah has like the... Um, all-American game and then they're going to check them into Oregon like right after and that or something. And the Polynesian Bowl too. Yeah. So yeah. If, yeah, if you haven't followed her on Twitter, go out there and give her a follow. I don't have it pulled up right now. I, I was on the on the Google over here trying to pull it up. I saw something about Panay Suel winning Offensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12, but it doesn't look like it was from the actual Pac-12 conference. Was that it might like have the been, AP thing? That might have been like a media award or, a, or an AP thing, but it looks like Zach Moss was the guy that won the actual Pac-12 award. However, Freshman Defensive Player of the Year, Slam Dunk, Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. But to get back to the awards from last night, um, and this was this is an opportunity to talk a little bit about Sherbert and just the, the kind of person that he we 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 make a lot of jokes at his expense here on this podcast, but he is an incredible representative for the University of Oregon, the community of Eugene, being a, a, a homegrown local product. For him to you know be out there shaking hands with the Manning family, for him to be going out there and winning the again these kinds of awards on a national stage, putting that O in a lot of kids' faces and doing it in a way that you can be really proud as a Duck fan. Yeah, I mean, he checks the box on everything a head coach wants out of their quarterback. Uh, outside of maybe vocal leadership. Off the field, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean again, as far as like being like the dude that you want people yeah, to Yeah, just be. being a great guy, just yeah. being a great kid. And it, it, we talked again a lot about him at the next level. It's all going to come down to fit. If he gets drafted by a good organization that can put him in a place to succeed... I, I I wish him all the best. I just I don't think he has all the tools to overcome a bad situation. If he goes to Miami, he's screwed. Yeah. Did you see Did you see that story about how they might sign Tom Brady? Yeah, I don't know much. I believe that though. How do you? Yeah, interesting. I okay, just, we won't, we won't get off on that. That's yeah. just kind of hearsay. There, there's a big click, tangent right there to jump off of. Thing. Thing. Yes. Uh, um, but what we're referring to is Herbert won the William V. Campbell Award. Which they call the academic Heisman. They basically group together your academics and your performance yes. on the field, mm-hmm. turn it into one thing. Oh, student athlete award! What a concept! Right? Yeah. Uh, Herbert right now is rocking a 4.01 GPA. Uh, he's going to school to earn a degree in science, where he plans to attend medical science. school. After this, uh, he got himself a $25,000 post grad scholarship. Okay. So I talked about this a little bit before the pod. The ultimate flex from Justin Sherbert is to say, you know what, NFL? I'm gonna go to med school. I'm gonna go be a doctor with my life. So we'll see. I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. You know, if this were Vegas, that'd be like a, a 0.05% chance of actually happening and the odds would be unreal. But good for you, Justin Sherbert. You go do what makes you happy in life. And I'm, again, proud to call you a duck, proud for you to be an ambassador for the program. Yeah, we make fun of your game management and stuff, but I feel yes. like that's only because like he, he he's okay because he gets so much praise everywhere else. He's a, <laughs> a four-year starter, homegrown local product. I mean, we've got to pick him apart a little bit. And again, we've always been positive. We've always talked about how we want to see him succeed. There are just some parts part that some of these games too excited so he's, he's overthrowing balls we want to see him be a little bit more of a vocal leader and we saw that 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 little bit of passion coming out of him when he was being that running elk out there on the field i think i saw him like do a fist pump like after one of those runs when he popped up and he threw in the fourth quarter of that game he threw the best pass i've ever seen him throw that was dropped by jalen red i know that's kind of been like the story of their relationship but he threw that uh to like the left pylon over the shoulder where yes, he went from right to that left throw. Yep. and mm-hmm. like red tracked it and then just as soon as it. it got over he just couldn't get his hands on yep. it it would have been a tough catch but that is a catch that nfl receivers will make yes and that was a Beauty. I mean, yeah. talk about throwing somebody open. Well, and he he kind of has this golf game where just every once in a while he makes that throw that just brings you right back in. <laughs> just like if you've ever golfed before and you're not a if you're not a, like an amateur golfer, your most of your shots are going to be terrible. But everybody has that one shot during your round that's yeah, like, you, oh, you that stri- felt so good. You stripe one, you're like, Tiger, let's run it back. Tiger, Tiger Woods, <laughs> y'all. When you come off the green, you're like, yeah, doing the fist pump. It's your Tiger moment. So he kind of has that golf-like game where. If, again, if he's put in the right franchise that can coach him up and put him in a position to succeed, he could have more of those moments. I would just hope he gets to sit somewhere for like two years. 
I mean, it's only if he falls in the. Okay, now we'll have a lot more time to talk about yeah. Justin Sherbert later on. Yeah, um, let's let's, let's jump right into some hoops talk. We got some big time basketball stuff coming up this weekend. Big weekend. Early tomorrow morning, the Oregon Duck men's basketball team headed to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to go against. I mean, Juwan Howard, he's he's kind of the biggest coach out there right now for college hoops. He's the guy that everybody's talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, they went from being unranked to after the uh, Battle for Atlantis tournament being fourth in the nation. I mean, that's a monumentous swing. Which, how much fun would it have been for Oregon to beat Gonzaga, play them in that championship game, and then come back and play them again now a couple weeks later in Ann Arbor? That would have been really fun. Yeah, why were they even allowed to, like, be in the same tournament when they play them so much, or, like, I don't. I don't want to get into the minutia of the NCAA. We're gonna do. We're gonna. We're already gonna do that here in a little bit in the pod. <laughs> another, another thing I think is kind of weird, and I didn't realize this. Uh, talking with a couple huge Wisconsin Badger fans. Did you know Wisconsin played Miami the last two years in bowl games? No, but that's silly. But okay, okay. We, we need to talk a little bit. We're gonna get deep into the Rose Bowl. We'll do a full-on I smell roses pod. Um, that'll probably be a, an exclusive. Rose Bowl pregame edition, but I just want to say this. We've talked about it a little bit out there on the social media. If you have a Wisconsin Badger fan in your mentions, in your DMs, giving you a hard time, there's just a simple response that all you have to say, okay, Badger. And, and it's, it's worked a couple times. We've learned on Monday, <laughs> this is a trigger word. Uh, this person called me an old 40-year-old man trying to be cool, and I was like, First off, bro, you don't even know me. <laughs> if you don't follow Shane Plus, on Twitter, it's a joyous follow. <laughs> this is kind of where we fall into a little bit of the Jalen and Jacoby thing, where you really enjoy engaging with the people on Twitter and kind of going in them. Where I'm just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. Well, the funny thing is because we both run the, the FlockPod Twitter account, yes. like you started it and then I just <laughs> came in and just picked up all the pieces. I just came in guns ablaze. I'm like, good at that. Ah! I'm, I'm good at that. I'm good at having like the heat the the hot take that kind of gets everybody inflamed and then I just kind of step back it's like it's like that um this is a terrible terrible thing but if you ever never know like Pablo Francisco stand up oh yeah he has this whole thing about where he's talking about Jerry Springer it's like he has a knife yeah do something with the knife yeah I don't know what to do with that I'm just gonna step back it's 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 just that I just throw a little fire on the flame and see what happens yeah somebody caught me some somebody with eight Twitter followers caught me <laughs> two hours nothing and to do on a Monday admitted it was a burner account like <laughs> and then told me I was hiding behind the flock pot account whatever anyway sorry yeah. that 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 was bad to happen here we get a little excited it's a fun podcast here a, on friday morning I had a we're, great i'm time. enjoying these these morning podcasts where we're we kind of a little fired more fired up, up. yeah by yeah. like the by the end of the day life kind of beats us down a little bit <laughs> tell me about it bro tell me about it anyway so infali dante is making the trip with the ducks he's 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 with them we don't expect to see him playing that would be a little bit out of, you know, Dana Altman's character to kind of put him in a situation like this. And we talked about it before the podcast. He's incredibly raw. He works really hard and he has an incredible foundation to kind of build from and play from. But the kid's very raw. So he's a guy, I mean, they play a couple games at home here in the next week or so. Um, they're going to be, oh, come on, get, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Yeah, Montana. Texas Southern and then Arkansas State or Alabama State. So those are a couple games that'll really give him an opportunity to get his 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 little his little uh, feet wet. Yeah, get his. Uh, what a, what a duck yeah, I was trying to think of that too, and that's why I did the little hand thing. Um, get his flippers. flippers, yeah, yeah little flippers. You know, little flippers. Uh, yeah, wet. especially something we talked about before. Running a pretty intricate web feet. Get his web feet. Yeah, there we go. There we go. We run a pretty intricate uh, defensive scheme uh, mm -hmm. with the, the way that they go from a zone pressing uh, strategy that falls back into man-to-man -man defense. Mm -hmm. Really difficult. I mean, we've seen guys like Will Richardson thrive in that. Yeah, they can kind once of go he figures it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Guys who can kind of go and guard multiple positions, which I do feel like Nafali Dante does have the foot speed to guard people on the mm -hmm. wing for mm -hmm. short amounts of mm -hmm. time. Like, not that I think you should go match up with a three. No, but he has that kind of skill set. At least to go until you can get the switch, until mm -hmm. you can get, like, an Addison Patterson or whoever yeah. to go and switch in that position. But that's going to be something that comes with time. And being extremely raw, like you mentioned, 
these things are going to be the the biggest hurdles for yep. him. Yep. Or the the mental aspect of basketball that, especially in a Dana Altman mm-hmm. offense and defense, where these are not simple sets. We're not just running like the dribble weave may look simple on offense when they run that to get mm-hmm. into some of the sets, but that's just trying to figure it, read the defense. I mean, that's like sending a man in motion in football. Where Dane is really just trying hey, to hey look over how, here, look over here, yeah, look over exactly. Because if you react? watch like if you watch like the dunker spot and how they like get people to slide in that position, how they get open, it's all like a you know sleight yep. of hand kind of style offense. Well, and even that little pinwheel play that they run, where they have the the down pick and then the Iverson cut from the elbow, um, that that's set. a complicated play, and it looks really simple. And I know a lot of Duck fans hate that play because Dana's run it since he got here and it doesn't look like much but those cuts make the defense react we've gotten a couple layups off that little I mean it's not quite a UCLA cut but it's very similar that first screen um, I've I've tried running that offense with a couple teams and it's complicated it, it's not a very easy it, offense to you, employ you have to be able to read and react very quickly yeah. and, and then have a great pick and roll combo and if you screw up uh, like where you're gonna eventually try and get the ball lower it, then it, that's when it looks horrible and I think that's why people have had such a problem with it because when it does fall apart it's like yo what are those guys doing out there it looks really bad and I think that's why Dana really preaches he's not always going to play the five best guys he's going to play the five guys that play the best together and I think that's a really important distinction that some Duck fans get frustrated with, especially with some of these big-time recruits that have come in and sat on the bench for a little while. And just like you've seen, like we've talked extensively about C.J. Skywalker having to get his little you know, web feet out there and get wet and get comfortable. And he's a guy, I'm excited to see what he's going to do tomorrow morning. I think this is a game that on the big stage where he could get a lot of playing time because he's kind of gotten into Dana's good graces now. He's playing good defense. His performance, and another guy that I think has kind of gotten into the doghouse a little bit is Shakir Justin. Well, he's been dealing with an injury. That's why he didn't play in the last Oh, game. okay. I didn't see that. Yeah, okay. He, okay. he was a late, late scratch. Okay. And Man, Oregon's got to stop with this stuff. Just, I mean, don't let basketball turn into, like, the Patriot-like crystal ball system. Yeah, especially don't as, know like, what the heck's going on. Pseudo-press members like we are, like, it's really difficult yeah. to catch up. Make, keep making us look dumb, man. <laughs> I mean, the, me- the, the press told us that Francis Acquero got hit by a Previa. <laughs> You know, like, come on, Prius. Like, come on. Um, anyway, that's going to be a really fun, exciting game. Always like to see Oregon in those big-time matchups. Um, don't read too much into this game, the performance-wise. It's just a good opportunity to have them out there. Oregon will come home for three straight home games. And then they take that Colorado-Utah trip in the Pac-12, which is the most difficult road trip in college sports. Or in, in college basketball, I'll say. Just because going into that altitude and going back-to-back in those two high-altitude environments. Colorado looks good this year, too. They and Colorado's very, and Utah's always well-coached. It's just... It's a murders it's a, it's a really difficult road trip to make it's the one reason why i'd like to see the pac-12 change their basketball schedule but that's again that's a conversation we can have this spring when we need a little bit more content but that's a hot take that I, that ha, that's why pac-12 hoops isn't what it should be is because right. of the schedule anyway talking a little bit now about the women's basketball team they've got a great opportunity here coming up uh, to get a couple couple w's couple get right games you know playing on the road tomorrow versus a long beach state team that looks feisty but a game that they should definitely win yeah and uh, again we haven't spoke since the last time where they handled biz nass oh jeez uh that was not the same game that was played in the sweet 16 last year uh although um south dakota state did have a lot of roster turnover absolutely Um, yeah there are a lot of reasons why it wasn't the same but i mean that was that was handling the thing um yeah that, that's putting Ruth, your foot down. Yeah, Ruthie looked good. Uh, Taylor Chavez looked great. Jazz Shelley looked great. Um, it They're really clicking on all cylinders at this point. Um, we've seen Sabrina, what I've absolutely loved how she's played this year, uh, really taking a step back offensively right now and really getting everybody else involved. Yeah, yeah. Last, I mean, throughout her career, she's done a good job facilitating. We've seen it with all the triple doubles and her assist numbers. She's are... got all the new toys to play with, though. Right now, it's like, yeah, just like... I, Between her and Minion Moore just completely running the show. I mean, Minion Moore, I believe, is... She's we haven't talked a lot about 12, her. She's leading the Pac-12, might be leading the nation in uh, assist-to-turnover ratio. It's like 4.8 to 1. Wow. Yeah, I mean, doing a great job. I've said it before. She's the best Pac-12 Pac, Pac, Pac point guard, men or women. Ooh, uh, okay. I think she's, That's a hot take. I, I like it. I think she's the best. She's 
amazing defensively. She runs the show. She doesn't need to score to, to put her stamp on the game, but she also can get buckets if you mm-hmm. let her. Like, slack off of her, and she will make you pay for it. Well, and it's just one of those things, like, who do you want to stop? Like, what, what do you want to, like, if you want to take this away, we're going to go over here. If you want to take that away, we're gonna, you want to take the inside-out game with Ruthie? Okay, great. We'll kill you from the outside. We don't even have to do it with Sabrina. We can do it with Taylor Chavez. We can do it with, I mean, these, the amount of weapons that Kelly Griffin, when he looks down his bench, he must just smile because he's got so many toys to play with. Now, we do want to talk a little bit about one of those toys being taken out of the toy chest. I mean, we talked a lot about how Oregon's going to have to adjust to bringing in the new player in Folly Dante. We thought the women were going to have to make a big adjustment point for Miss Sedona Prince to be able to come in and play. And this is also our social spotlight of the week for, for obvious reasons. Um, another example of the NCAA just being wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, but this is just a situation where... I'm, I feel very, very strongly about this. The letter of the law is one thing, and then the spirit of that law and the spirit of that rule and how it's been applied over the last couple of years in certain instances, the NCAA is making an absolute mockery of themselves. Yeah, for those who don't know too much about the situation, Sedona Prince was a five-star or four or five-star recruit that went to her home state. Uh, She's University from Liberty Te- Hill in Texas. Yeah, so she went to Texas. was her dream. She's a big-time recruit. She ended up getting hurt. She broke her leg. Uh, transferred to Oregon because she didn't feel safe on that campus. She also said that the way that they handled her injury, she didn't uh, go along with. Like well, her she family got... was being like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't be rehabbing like They're trying this. to push her too much. And then she, she got hurt playing for Team USA. Yeah, for the uh, like, under, come on. under 18 division or whatever. So, yeah, she was doing, you know, out there representing her country, doing what we what want to athletes like ex- to do extracurricular back basketball yeah, activities. this is what we want athletes to do and i mean and we've also like ruthie's participated with team usa uh uh sabrina other players satu's playing for Sa- team germany exactly um so uh basically she everybody thought that a waiver for her to be able to play this year so normally when you transfer from d1 to d1 school in certain sports, they make you sit out an entire year. You lose a, a year of eligibility yes. because the NCAA doesn't want it to turn into where just uh, you don't have to commit to the school that you're going to without punishment. They want they don't want it to be free agency. Exactly. Biggest problem with that is it's kind of gotten away from them, mm-hmm. and they have granted these waivers for other players who have transferred schools with less of a legitimate gripe against the original school they committed to. She hasn't played. I mean, this is a legitimate thing where she already sat out an entire year due to her medical situation. I just, I don't understand what benefit the NCAA has from laying down the law in this situation, unless they just really don't like Oregon because of the things that have gone on the past couple years. Which makes a lot of sense <laughs> and yeah and like we've seen we've seen players decide to change schools and sit a year or go transfer to a juco and then go which is the more popular out for men's basketball players i'd say which is like how we got chris duarte he was a wet he was at western kentucky didn't like the situation he was at coach left transferred to a juco of florida then transferred to oregon and it's different when it's like a graduate transfer situation also, like Darian Felix is doing. Yeah, because graduate transfer, if you have that red shirt intact, once you graduate, you can transfer schools without... I mean, it's how we got Dallas Warmack. Yep. It's, it's not a new thing in college sports. What is interesting is it seemed like all systems were a go for her to be eligible to play by December 15th, basically since she showed up in Eugene yeah or even since it's she, a huge surprise since she's decided to like come here even before like yeah. the plane landed yeah. everybody was kind of sure like even Nafali Dante I'm sorry he's able to play this year even though he wasn't able to pass his classes and until there's now? there's some weird stuff with that too and I, I, I want to again we could we could harp on this and we could definitely beat up on the dead horse that is the NCAA but it's just it's not worth it at this point the positive about this is she's allowed to practice she could, she's going to get a whole heck of a lot better playing with this U of O team all season long. And 
Yes, we have some some post need. I mean, it'd be great to have her in there. We have Ruthie. We have. I mean, this is an opportunity now where it, she almost gets like an extra year of eligibility to have this practice. It's like a gracier kind of. It, it it is in fact yeah. And I mean to say that she has a chip on her shoulder uh, <laughs> is taking it lightly. Go read her Instagram, Twitter posts, and everything. Yes. She's fired up. She's ready to go. Well, and shout out to Sedona. We put something up on the Flock Instagram just in support of her, and she you know re grammed us you know and gave us some love so Sedona you're one of our favorite athletes yep, now for sure so thank you ride or die for you yes absolutely we got you the flock has got you um but this is a big opportunity I think for uh Lydia Giomi who I just yes. had an article come out about on uh ducknews.com perfect go, time go Shane go did read a thing. my stuff Shane did a thing uh so she's a six foot six sophomore uh she's the one the tall one wears the mask okay I like uh, it she could put a little bit more weight on. She's slight in stature, but uh, has a great skill set and is shooting a redonkulous 62% from the field. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Uh, she's had big games against Northeastern. Hasn't played as much. We saw the the rotation really really shrink when they played Louisville and Syracuse, but that happens. I mm-hmm. mean, as you get into March Madness time and stuff, you see your nine-man or nine-woman rotation go to a seven-woman rotation. Um, yep. I mean, sometimes I think, I think the Ducks were playing six at points last year, too, during the tournament. Well, yeah, and then the game against Louisville, the reason why there was no bench points was there wasn't a whole lot of bench activity on yeah. the floor. I mean, yeah. you really saw Kelly go with the, those front five, and as long as they stayed out of foul trouble, just leaving them out there. Which some people could critique him for. We're not going to be some of those people right now, and Kelly, I, we trust. I, I, when your starting five is as solidified as this team's is, it's really hard to argue. I mean, yeah, it's tough. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. When you yes. lose the game, it's like, yes. well, why'd you lose? Because you didn't play your bench enough. But, I mean, you lose the game and you play the bench, people are like, why are these scrubs out there? You know what I'm saying? Oh, you don't have to tell me that, Shane. <laughs> you don't have to tell yeah, me that. Yeah, you're a coach. I'm a ref. I just Hashtag get to stand back life. and be like, whatever. It was a travel. That argue is, with me some more. That is one of my favorite dynamics of our podcast is that you kind of bring that ref perspective to a lot of things <laughs> and I kind of bring that coach perspective and then we're both bringing like the fan perspective. So not to like pat ourselves on the back too much here, but I think that is kind of why we have such good chemistry. So go root for the women tomorrow. Go support them. Go give Sedona some love on Instagram. She is at Sedona, spelled just the way you think it would be, period, underscore, and then on Twitter, she is at Sedona Prince underscore. So go give her a follow. Go give her that flack, that flock bump, not flack. Don't give her any flack. <laughs> no flack. She she's got any, enough she's flack, got enough flack from the NCAA <laughs> this week. Go give her that flock bump. Go give her a follow and give her your support. Um, again, Sedona, we got you. We're excited to watch you grow as a duck. Um, it looks like Shane needs to get out of here for work. We need to get Zook, producer Zuko outside. He's just kind of given up and falling asleep on the floor next to us here. We don't really have an into club segment this week just due to finals and all the, all the kids traveling and whatnot back home for the holidays. So travel safe, all those students that are listening. Um, we're excited to get back in the gym for women's club basketball. Women's, or excuse me, a men's club hockey is playing really, really well. They're excited to get back on the rink on uh, January 10th and get their season back on the go. But um, yeah, we'll have a lot more coming up here from the flock. But for today... I think that's all I got. What about you, Shane? I think we got it all. Yeah, just go watch those Oregon men tomorrow, 9 a.m., and the women play at 1 p.m. I think for the women's game, you have to have that streaming. Which is silly. I wish we could get away from that. But, yeah, definitely watch the the men. I think pretty soon ESPN Plus is going to start picking up a lot more of this content. Let's hope so. uh, The streaming services becoming the dominant way people are watching sports and the whole Disney ESPN Disney Plus, Plus and all thing, that. Yeah. yeah, watch The Mandalorian, by the way. Anyway, I am Justin. I am Shane. We out. Peace.